Uh, I've just learned that some of y'all also may know me as the tree guy. Um, three years ago or so, I preached here, and I, a tree had fallen on my house the night before I came to preach, and I used it as like an illustration of my story. And it, every time I'm here, someone asks me about, the, about that, and so I'm happy to be known as the tree guy. I will answer to that. I think there's probably a lot worse things I could be known as, so... Um, Well, it is a real joy to be with you this morning. Glad to be among y'all and to be worshiping with you. If you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 121. This morning, we're going to be looking at this psalm, which is very familiar. A psalm which asks us, in some ways asks us what we're afraid of as we're looking forward into 2020. What is it that is making us anxious And uh, where do we expect our help to come from in, that, in, the, in the future? We see here the help that God provides for his people. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to God once again and ask him for his help this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, just as we read uh, where does our help come from? Lord, we, we come to you for help right now. We come to you asking that you would help us as we give our hearts, give our attention, give our thoughts to your word for the next few moments. Lord, we ask that you would help us to rightly understand it. We ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word, that you would write the eternal truths of your gospel, of your word onto our hearts this morning. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here in the Christmas season, some of you may have been taking some, some trips to visit family or friends. Uh, and so perhaps you have a particular tradition. Perhaps your family has a certain tradition that you do in the car. Maybe, maybe you're an audiobook family or a podcast family. Maybe there's certain uh, CD, certain music that you like to listen to while you're traveling. My family just took a trip this past week to West Tennessee, where I'm, where I'm from, and uh, our, our soundtrack, our go-to soundtrack is always the Hamilton soundtrack, the, the musical Hamilton. We listen to that um, pretty regularly, almost every road trip we take. So I don't know what your tradition for road trips may be, but if you had lived in ancient Israel, a few times a year, you and your family would take a road trip, a trip to Jerusalem, in order to participate in the religious festivals that were being held at the temple. This would be a journey most often made on foot. And many believe that one of the main traditions of these journeys for the Israelites were to sing a specific set of 15 songs, songs that you can find in, our, in, our, in the Bible. In the Psalm, they're numbered Psalms 120 through 134. These 15 songs are called the Songs of Ascent because Jerusalem was situated on a mountain. It was higher than all of the surrounding area. And so if you were traveling to Jerusalem, you had to travel up. You had to ascend up the mountain. And these songs were used to remind people who they were and who God is. And at times, this could be a dangerous journey, right? No doubt, the people experienced fears of both the natural elements as well as maybe even the possibility of robbers lying in wait on the, on the road. 
And so it's easy to imagine them singing Psalm 121 and why they might feel the need to sing this song on the journey. Because it's a song about how we can face dangers, we can face the future, we can face the uncertain in our lives by looking to God for help. Now, for Christians who live in America in the year 2019, we don't walk to Jerusalem three times a year. Most of us, I would wager, don't walk to church. And yet we are still on a journey, aren't we? We are still on a journey in this life, which is a long obedience in the same direction, as one writer has put it. And in many ways, the Christian life is like an arduous journey. It's an arduous ascent as we head towards our heavenly home, as we head towards the new Jerusalem. And so how can this song of ascent be a help to us, be a help to you and me in 2019, looking into 2020 on the journey of the Christian life? What does this psalm remind us about ourselves? What does this psalm remind us about our God? Two things this morning, our need for help and our source of help. So first of all, our need for help. We see this in verse one. The first thing we note in this passage, which is something that should be fairly obvious, right? That we need help, right? Look at verse one. I lift up my, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? The psalmist begins with this assumption that we cannot make it alone, right? We cannot make it through this journey, this life on our own. It doesn't say, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Will I need help for this journey? Should I look for help? No, the question is not, do I need help, but from where will my help come? I know I'm going to need help in this life. The question is, where is it going to come from? And the psalm sort of forces us to consider, forces us to ask, what is it that you're afraid of? What is it that's troubling you? What is it about the future? What is it about the future, the, the road that lies ahead of you that is making you anxious, making you nervous, making you troubled, keeping you up at night? You know, as the Israelites sang this song on their walk to Jerusalem, they were likely afraid of things that, that we don't think about very much. They were perhaps afraid of wild animals in the wilderness, perhaps afraid of robbers, as I mentioned, lying in wait. Maybe they were afraid of injuries and, and illnesses, which seem simple to us today. Perhaps they were wondering where their next meal might come from. But what are the fears and the worries that are keeping you up at night? Maybe you're afraid of what will happen in your job in the new year. Or maybe you're afraid that you're not going to get the job that you want, that you're stuck in a place that you don't want to be. Maybe you're afraid that you'll never get married. Maybe you're afraid that your marriage is going to fall apart. Maybe you're afraid that you won't be able to have children. Or maybe you're afraid of, what, of who your children are becoming. Maybe you're afraid of, of not being able to make ends meet that you won't have enough. Maybe you're afraid that you're never gonna heal from the wounds of your past that you still carry with you to this day. Perhaps you're afraid that you're losing your faith and you can't tell anyone about it. You're afraid of what they might say. There's a number of other things that may be troubling you this very day, this very morning, but our fears remind us that we're exposed. Our fears remind us that we're vulnerable. They remind us that we need help. That, and we can go wrong here by thinking that we don't actually need help from God or from anyone else. We can think that we're okay. We can think that we can handle whatever life throws at us, whatever fears we're dealing with. We can avoid them. We can ignore them. We uh, just can figure out a way to manage them on our own. 
some of us approach life's problems that way, that we don't really need God, we don't really need other people, that we're really self-sufficient. Another way we could go wrong here is by looking for help in the wrong places. But we, we can put our trust in our jobs to give us a sense of meaning or purpose or identity when we're feeling unsure of ourselves. We can look to our money to get us out of any bind that we might face. We can trust in our personality gifts to advance us in career and life. Maybe we can put our trust in politics. We think that our only hope for the future is in a particular party, a particular figure, a particular policy. We put our trust in food or in hobbies to comfort us and to help us briefly forget about life's problems. And all of these things are good gifts from God. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. But if we start to put our hope and trust in these things and look to them for our help through life, we're guaranteed to misuse them and to abuse them. So as Christians, we, we, we have to recognize that we need help. This is how the Christian life functions. This is how it started. This is how it continues, that we need help. We cannot live a Christian life alone. We need God's help. We need uh, a community of believers around us. This doesn't make us weak or burdensome. It makes us human. We have to learn to look in the right place for our help. And so where is that? That's our second point this morning, our source for help. We see this in the, in the verses two through eight. The psalmist begins by looking at the hills and wondering from where his help might come, but he quickly directs our attention not to the hills, but to something much bigger, to the one who made the hills, to the one who made the heavens and the earth, and that is the Lord, right? He says in verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where we look for our help. We look to God. We look to the Lord to help us, and the rest of the psalm is really just lying, laying out for us the um, reasons why we should look to the Lord as our primary source of help. And so in our time today, let's just consider just a very few brief reasons why we should consider, why we should look to God as our source of help. First of all, because he's the creator, right? He's the only one with the ability to help us, no matter what our circumstances may be. He's the one who made the heavens. He made the earth. He made us. He made all the things that we can see and touch and smell and feel. He made all the things that we cannot see and touch he even made the things that we're afraid of. Therefore, he's able to help you and me in whatever we may be facing because he's the creator. He's the only one who's qualified to be our source of help. Another reason that we look to God for our source of help is that God doesn't sleep. We see that in verses three and four. Now, this may seem like a strange thing to say about God, right? Of course he doesn't sleep. Why, why, was that, why does that need to be said? Why is, why is the psalmist telling us that God neither slumbers nor sleeps? Well, it reminds us that God is never off the clock, that he's never unaware of what we're experiencing, what we're going through. And this is a, a, helpful, remember, a helpful reminder for us because if we're honest, sometimes it can feel like God is asleep, can't it? Sometimes it can feel like God is unaware of what we're dealing with, of what we're going through. We feel as though we're alone. Sometimes it can feel as though he's distant from us in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our, our troubles. But the psalmist reminds us that that is not the case, right? The promises of God are more certain than our feelings. And so let's not miss the implication here. If the Lord does not sleep, that means you and I can sleep. That each night when you lie down to rest, this is a reminder that you are not God, that you are a creature, that you have been created, that you need sleep. But the Bible time and again promises us 
that God will continue to watch over us. I love how many times in the Psalms you can find in, in Psalm 127 and Psalm 4 where, where the psalmist write about, I lie down and sleep because the Lord protects me. He gives to his beloved sleep because he's always watching over us even when we are asleep. And we see this reminder again in verses five and six, right? That he is our keeper. He is the shade at our right hand that he, he will watch over us during the day, during the night, right? The sun will not strike us nor the moon. He will watch over us at all times during the day and the night. Verse eight tells us that he will keep us in our going, going out and our coming in, that all of the time, whatever we're doing, he's watching over us. The psalm has in view here the totality of your life, of the human experience, every aspect of our lives. Whenever we need help, he is available. He is ready. He is there. The third and final reason I want to draw out this morning that we can look to God, that we should look to God for our, as our source of help, is that he is our keeper. Perhaps you noticed as we read through this passage in these eight verses, there's one word repeated six times. It's the word keep or keeper, right? He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel, the Lord is your keeper. He will, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in. This is the same Hebrew word used throughout. It's a word that means to guard or to preserve. It's also the same word that's used in Genesis 4, chapter 4, verse 9. If you remember, after Cain has murdered his brother Abel, God approaches Cain to ask, where is your brother? Where is Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. And then the famous verse that if you've grown up in church, you're probably familiar with, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? That's what Cain says to God. What Cain is saying there is, am I his guard? Am I, is, is he my responsibility? Is it my job to watch over Abel to take care of him? What Cain is trying to do in, in the uh, aftermath of his, of his sin of murdering his brother, Cain is trying to dis distance himself from Abel. He doesn't want to be responsible for Abel's well-being. But here in, verse, in, in Psalm 121, we're told that's exactly what God is for his people. He is our keeper. He is our guardian. He is the one who watches over us and takes care of us. He takes responsibility for us. He is happy and willing to be our keeper. You know, a lot of parents, we, we have two small dogs at our house, two little dachshunds that are 13. They're, they're eight, decrepit and ancient now. But um, So sometimes we'll have friends come over, some of our friends who have children, and they'll see our little dogs, and they'll you know, play with them and touch them, pet them, whatever. And we'll hear, the parent, we'll hear the kids say, Mom and Dad, can we get a dog? Can we get a dachshund too? And the parents kind of look at us like, what have you done? Why, why have you brought these dogs out? Um, and the parent is thinking, and listen, as a parent, I get this, right? The parent is thinking, we're going to have to take care of this animal. We're going to have to clean up after it and take it to the vet. It's going to live for like 10 or 15 years, and it just seems like a really big commitment. And what the parent is thinking there is, I don't want to be this animal's keeper. And listen, no judgment, all right? No judgment for me about that. Um, it's, it's a lot, okay? But... What the parent is thinking is, I don't want to be this, I don't want to keep this dog. I don't want to keep this pet. I don't want to be the keeper. But what Psalm 121 assures us is that God says yes to being our keeper. And if we're honest, our lives are so much messier than that of a pet. And yet God says, I'll be your keeper. Our problems are more complex. Our needs are far greater. And God says, I will keep you you know, and parents, here's what parents know. Here's why parents don't want to get 
kids. Here's why parents don't want to get a dog. Because the parents know that you will get bored of the dog. You will get bored of the pet, right? The kids will get bored of it. It will become a chore. But Psalm 121 says you will never become a chore to God. That he will never become bored with you. He will never grow tired of being your keeper. And how long is his commitment to be our keeper? According to verse eight, from this time forth and forevermore. There's no end in sight to him being our keeper. And God says, I will never sleep. I will never slumber. I will never punch the clock. I will be your keeper forever. This is a sweet reminder to the exhausted parent who feels like their entire life is taken up by caring for kids. And they wonder, who's gonna take care of me? Psalm 121 says, the Lord This is good news for those of you who may be caring for an aging parent right now, or maybe those of you who are in a helping profession where your day job is to help other people, or maybe you're that friend who everyone brings their problems to, or you're the one who's gifted in service, but you have a hard time letting other people serve you. Who is going to help you? Who's gonna be your keeper? Psalm 121 says, the Lord. Ultimately, what Psalm 121 is pointing us to is the providence of God, a doctrine which is meant to comfort and to calm, to give us peace in the midst of life's storms. But the doctrine of God's sovereignty, as comforting as it can be, can also raise a lot of questions, right? If God is is my keeper all the time in every situation, then why do I suffer? Then why did he allow that thing to happen to me? Why did he allow this bomb to explode in my family? And this creates some tension, right? And we even sense it in our passage in verse seven, right? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. No doubt some of you have been sitting here thinking, I feel like a lot of evil things have happened to me. I feel like evil comes into my life. I feel like I've experienced a lot of evil. What does that mean? The Bible is not saying nothing bad will ever happen to you, right? Bad things happen to us all the time. Flat tires and sickness, loss of a job, Cancer, death, broken relationships, persecution, people sinning against you. The Bible never promises us that our lives will be free from those things. In fact, at times we're guaranteed that stuff like that is going to come into our lives. But here's what verse 7 is getting at. Because of God's providence, because he is our keeper, evil will never have the final word in your life. Whatever evil has come upon you, it doesn't define who you are. What the Bible promises us is that there is no evil that has entered your life that God cannot in some way turn for good, work for good. As Romans 8.28 tells us, right, all things work together for your good, for your salvation. And, you know, for some of us in this room, that promise may be hard to believe, and that's okay, right? Cling to Jesus and cling to these promises even when it's hard, even when you doubt that they're true. Romans 8 goes on to make this promise even more explicit at the very end of the chapter where we read this. Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Evil things will happen to us, but they cannot separate you from the love of Jesus because the Lord is your keeper. He will keep you in the midst of anything and everything that comes to you. All of our questions and all of our heartaches about suffering and evil eventually lead us to the cross of Jesus, right? His death on the cross is the most evil, unjust, 
event of human history, a truly innocent person dying in place of the guilty, a horrific and humiliating and shameful death. And yet his suffering, his death, purchased our salvation. All of the promises of the Bible, including the promises of Psalm 121, hang on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They are guaranteed to us because of the work of Christ. But Christ's work not only redeemed sinners like you and me, his work redeemed the very act of suffering. That God took the greatest evil that has ever happened and turned it to the greatest good that has ever happened. That the suffering of Jesus was not meaningless. And so neither is your suffering. Neither is my suffering. How is he going to turn the evil that you've experienced, the suffering of your life, how is he going to turn that to good? I don't know the answer to that. And maybe you'll never know the answer to that either. But you don't have to know the answer. He promises to do it. His promises are sure. What Psalm 121 is calling us to do is to meditate on the providence of God, his character and his work as the creator of all things, his role as our keeper. He's the one who watches over us and preserves us from this time forth and forevermore. And this song is preparing us for the journey ahead, for 2020, whatever it may hold for you and for me, a journey on which we'll see some beautiful and amazing things and we'll experience very hard and difficult things. But this psalm promises us that evil will not have the final word, that one day evil will be done away with, every tear will be wiped away, we will bask in the mercy and the love and the grace and the holiness of our keeper. I don't know what it is that's troubling you this morning. I don't know what it is about the future that may be um, making you anxious. I don't know all the painful and sorrowful wounds that you may carry with you each and every day, but God does. Your keeper knows. He's your guardian. He's your protector. He's your keeper. So brothers and sisters, lift up your eyes. From where does your help come? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord is your keeper from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask, um, we do thank you that you're our keeper. Lord, I, I pray for those here this morning who may not know you as their keeper, as their guardian, as their protector, that they would trust in you, that they would rest in your promises, that they would rest in the finished work of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to leave here um, comforted by these promises, that we would enter this new year with confidence in you as our keeper who protects us and watches over us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.